Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you once again to investigate the Scriptures with us as we continue to probe Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel or good news about the kingdom of God. I wonder if you realize that the Christian gospel is based on the great contractual arrangements made between God and Abraham. Paul makes it quite clear that Abraham is a key figure in the Christian faith. In Romans 4 verse 11, Paul speaks of Abraham as being the father of the Christian faithful. And in Romans 4 verse 12, Christians are to walk in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham. In Romans 4.16, we are to imitate the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. It's quite clear then that the faith of Abraham, the model of faith set forth in the life of Abraham, is the model which we Christians are to imitate. No wonder then that Paul could say that the Christian gospel had been preached in advance to Abraham, Galatians 3 verse 8. Now the gospel as it came to Abraham was a two-pronged affair. It consisted, first of all, of the great promise of the land of Canaan in perpetuity, and secondly, the promise of a distinguished son and heir. In other words, we might say that the Abrahamic promise consists of two elements, the seed and the soil the distinguished descendant, and the land over which that distinguished descendant is going to rule. Jesus Christ is the promised seed. That's quite clear from Galatians 3, verse 16. But Jesus Christ is also himself the recipient of the land promise. Many Christians realize that Christ is the ultimate object of the promise made to Abraham, but they've forgotten that that promise is twofold. Not only is it a promise of a human being, the son of Abraham, the ultimate descendant who is Christ, but it's also a promise of the land. Jesus Christ is heir to the land of Canaan. Jesus is the ultimate object of that great land promise. He's the beneficiary of the contract made between God and Abraham. In Galatians 3 verse 19, Paul said that the law of Moses was added only temporarily, it was added until the seed should come to whom the promised inheritance had been made. You'll find that fact clearly stated in Galatians 3 and verse 19. Paul there discusses why the law of Moses. What was the point of it? Well, Paul said the law of Moses, the contract made between God and Moses at Sinai, that was added because of transgressions, and it was ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator. Until, Paul says... The seed should come to whom the promise had been made. That seed was Jesus, and Jesus Christ is the one to whom the promise made to Abraham ultimately was directed. And so twice in Galatians 3, in verse 16 and in verse 19, in two verses there Paul makes it quite clear that Jesus Christ is the object of those promises made to Abraham. In Galatians 3, in verse 16, Paul says that the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. And God did not say, and to seeds, Paul says, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, singular. That's to say, Christ. Jesus then is the beneficiary of those great contractual promises, the promise of the land in perpetuity. And you, as a Christian then, are entitled to a share in that very same inheritance. Now, if the inheritance was based on law-keeping, it could not be based on promises. 
but the promises were given to Abraham. The law which was added as a parenthesis cannot undermine or cancel those promises. And so our Christian faith is based on the principle of believing, not on the principle of law-keeping. And it's based on believing the very same things that were said to Abraham, which he believed, and the very same things which were said to Jesus Christ. The word which came to Jesus Christ and which he believed and taught as the gospel was precisely the gospel about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is simply the term for the land promise. You inherit the kingdom of God in the New Testament. You inherit the land. It comes to the same thing. Blessed are the meek, Jesus said. They're going to have the land as their inheritance. Matthew 5 and verse 5. And in the same breath, Jesus can say, Blessed are the poor in spirit, because they're going to have the kingdom as their possession. They're going to have the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, I have to tell you, does not mean a kingdom in heaven. It's the divine kingdom. It's the promise of the divine land, the holy land, renewed and restored under the rulership and guidance of the Messiah. That great event has not yet happened. That's why Christians are praying, Thy kingdom come. What we mean by that prayer is, May the day come when Jesus breaks through the skies, descends to Jerusalem, and takes up his lawful position on the throne of David, at which point the land will be purified and renewed. The land will indeed become the Holy Land. And the city of Jerusalem, which is currently far from being holy, will indeed become the Holy City. Jerusalem on this planet, geographical Jerusalem, is the place where God desires to dwell. We're told that in the Psalms. And God is going to dwell there by sending his agent, his representative, the Christ, the Messiah, to be king in Jerusalem. Christianity is an invitation to kingship. You are invited to share in that great land promise, that land or kingdom promise made to Abraham, received by Jesus. Jesus and you as a Christian are both heirs of the kingdom. In Romans 8, Paul said, If we are sons of God, we are heirs, co-heirs with Jesus. We are recipients of the land promise made to Abraham, just as Jesus is the object of those very same promises. In Hebrews chapter 11, we read that Abraham, as a model of faith, went and lived in the land of the promise. Now, Abraham did not go and live in heaven as a place removed from this earth. He lived in geographical Canaan, and that is indeed the promised land. I have to tell you that Abraham did not receive a square foot of that land as his actual possession during his lifetime. Abraham owned, in fact, only one small field and a cave in which he buried his wife Sarah. And yet God had covenanted with Abraham to give him the land of Canaan in perpetuity. Let me read you the basis of the great land promise, the great gift of land guaranteed to Abraham. In Genesis 17, verses 7 and 8, we read as follows, I, God, will establish my covenant between me and you, Abraham, and your descendants after you throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. And I will give to you and to your descendants after you the whole land of your sojournings, that's to say where you are now dwelling as a stranger, as a resident alien, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, everlasting property, if you like, and I will be their God. 
There you have the bedrock foundation of the Christian gospel. Blessed are the meek, Jesus said. They are going to inherit the land. That's exactly the same as the land promise made to Abraham forever. It is a guarantee of permanent possession of a great deal of real estate. God is in the property business. He owns the earth and he gives the earth to those who are pleasing in his sight. Abraham pleased God by his faith in God's great world plan, in God's operation kingdom, if you like. God is in the business of restoring this earth. He's going to restore sound and sane and sensible government to this world. He's going to reproduce paradise all over again. And Christians are invited to fix the world, to put things right and to have a share in the administration of a worldwide government to be supervised by Jesus as Messiah when he returns in power and glory to this earth at his so-called second coming. The Christian invitation through the gospel is first of all to believe in God's great world plan to restore peace to this earth and then to prepare now to be part of that great world government. What a calling that is! It's not a calling to be a disembodied soul in some ethereal region far removed from this earth. It's an invitation to function as a divine administrator, as an immortalized ruler in the coming kingdom of God on the earth. Jesus, in fact, has died to gather together a group of Christians from all the nations. We read in Revelation 5, verse 9, and in verse 10, they have been made into a company of priests and kings, and they're destined to rule upon the earth. Blessed are the meek, Jesus had said, they're going to have the earth as their possession. He was quoting there from Psalm 37, verse 11, which spoke likewise of the meek having as their destiny the possession of the entire land. The land of Canaan will in fact be the center of the divine world government to be instituted when Jesus returns. In Daniel 7 verse 27 we read that the kingdom under the whole heaven, that's to say on the earth renewed, will be in the hands of all the saints. All nations and tongues and creeds will come under the supervision of the saints, headed of course by the Son of Man himself, the chief saint the Holy One, who is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He's going to return to this earth to put into effect a government which will bring unparalleled peace and prosperity to the entirety of our globe. That's the good news about the kingdom of God. And that's the good news which, according to Matthew 24, verse 14, must be heralded across the whole of the globe before the return of Christ in power and glory. That's the kingdom for which we're praying when we say, Thy kingdom come. It's the kingdom in which one day we will see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob take their seats at the banquet. You read that in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 11. Jesus likened himself in Luke 19 to a nobleman who was to depart for a time and to receive the authority to reign and then to return to rule the world. In that same parable, Jesus noted that some who ought to have known better objected to Jesus' claim to be the Messiah, his claim to be the one who would supervise the kingdom of God in the future. And so when Jesus returned, he banished those evil servants who did not believe in his Messiahship and his kingdom. But to those who had faithfully worked to promote the idea of the kingdom, to work for the cause of Christ and his gospel of the kingdom, to those he gave rulership over ten cities or five cities, he invited them to manage various urban populations in the new world of the kingdom coming. The 
first stage of that kingdom will be what's known as the millennium. During that time, there will be a mortal population surviving on the earth, and these people will populate the new age of the thousand-year reign of Christ. Meanwhile, those who have been faithful, the faithful of all the ages, will be immortalized at the first resurrection to occur at the beginning of that thousand years. In 1 Corinthians 15.23, we learn that all the faithful, from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob onwards, indeed faithful even before the time of Abraham, the faithful of all the ages will be raised and given immortality. It will be put beyond the range of death through the first resurrection to occur when Jesus Christ returns. At the same time, there will be certain mortals who will be allowed entrance into that kingdom as mortal human beings. People might object and say, how can immortals mix with mortals? Well, that's happened already in history. Only one person has been given immortality so far, and that's Jesus Christ, who came back from the sleep of death and ate and drank with mortals. Acts 10.41 states it beautifully. Peter says that we ate and drank with Jesus Christ after he rose from the dead. And after you rise from the dead in the resurrection, if you're among the faithful, then you'll be able to eat and drink with mortals just as Jesus did those 2,000 years ago. If you'd like to explore this issue of the kingdom of God and your future as an immortal co-regent with Jesus in that future kingdom, we invite you to request from us our free book on the kingdom of God entitled The Coming Kingdom of the Messiah, A Solution to the Riddle of the New Testament. We'd also like to offer you a tape of the program you're listening to and an article entitled The Covenant Made with Abraham. You can request these from us by writing to us or phoning us at the telephone number to be given at the end of this program. Join us again for our continued discussion of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.